0: I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Second Samuel. The passage I put in the bulletin was, was a mistype. There, I had the verse right, but I had the chapter wrong. It's in First, Second Samuel, chapter 24, page 277. Second 2 Samuel, chapter 24. Before we get into the text, let's let's. Get on board with where we are. I'm going to read the whole story this morning. But before we do that, let me remind you where we are today. Today is the first Sunday of November. I always preach on money the first Sunday of November. That's the only time in the year. I'll talk about money various times in a sermon. But when there's only one time a year that we do a major focus on giving to God. And we do that for one simple reason. Not because we're embarrassed to preach about money. But when you go out and you invite people to church, one of the first things that you will hear people say is all they want at church is your money. That's all they care about is money. And people will use that as an excuse not to come to church. And we want to give you a response. To that, And you can look at them and say, that may be true in some churches, but in our church we only preach on money once a year, and it's always the first Sunday in November. And so if you don't want to hear a sermon on money, don't come that Sunday. But that still leaves 51 Sundays out of the year that you can come and not hear about money. And so use that when you invite people to church, because invariably you will hear that. And so that's where we are today. The topic of the sermon is our giving, our stewardship, our faithfulness to God. We're going to learn about this this morning from the life of David. We're going to fast forward through his, his kingship. Actually, this is the, one of the last stories that we hear about him in his life. He's been king for a long time now. And what happens is he sins. Now we usually think of David's sin, the sin of his adultery with Bathsheba, and we're going to look at that story next week. But as we saw last week, David's not perfect. He is a great king, he is a model for us in many ways, but he is not perfect. Last week in the story, he got upset with the way that Nabal treated him. Nabal insulted insulted him, and he said, you know what, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill his family, everybody's household. And and Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes and she talks David down. She's going, you know, you shouldn't do that. That's, That's not right. Don't do that. And he listens to her. And he doesn't go and kill all those people. In today's story, David also has somebody come to him and say, you know what? What you're thinking about David, you shouldn't do that. And he ignores the godly advice that he receives. And he does it anyway. Well, what is it in his story that he does? What we're told is, is that he gets this idea that he wants to do a census. He wants to count all the people that live in his kingdom. Our first thought is, so, in America we do a census every ten years, so he wanted to do a census, what's the big deal? But God was displeased with him because he was doing this census. And it's probably because his heart was not in the right place. He wanted to do this census probably because he wanted to stroke his own ego and know how big his kingdom was. The number that comes back later in the text that we hear is the number of fighting men. Those who were able to, to carry the sword. And so it's probably even more than that. He didn't want to just know how big his kingdom was. He wanted to know how powerful his kingdom was. And it was an ego thing. Because you know what happens, guys, when we start comparing salaries, when we start comparing cars, it's always about whose car's bigger, who makes more money. He didn't just want to know because he wanted to know. He wanted to be able to look around and see all the other kingdoms around him. Oh, I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than you. It was an ego thing. And what we see in the story is how far David has fallen from where he began. Because he began as an individual shepherd who went up against Goliath. And you know what he said? I can kill you all by myself with God's help. Remember? I don't need an army. Me plus God is big enough to kill you. Now, 40 years, some years later, 50 years later, what's he doing? He's focusing on how big his army is. His focus is not on God. People, how many times do we see that in our lives? When we've got nothing, we focus on us plus God. But then when we start progressing when we start doing better. We forget about God and we start focusing on how big and how powerful we are. David then is judged by God because of the sin. It's interesting in the story as you read through it, after the word comes back, his general tells him, okay, this is how big the kingdom is. It says that his heart was convicted at that point. I shouldn't have done that even before the prophet of God comes in and says you shouldn't have done that he was convicted in his own heart the only problem was he'd already done it how many of us is that like us Right? we do the sin and it's not until after we do the sin that we go oh man I should have done that and so he has the conviction he, he knows in his heart that what he did was wrong the prophet comes in and David's like man I've sinned greatly Boy, if we only had the foresight before we sin to see our sin for what it is before we do it rather than after we do it. So the prophet of God, Gad, comes in and he says, okay, you've sinned. God is going to give you a choice. Pick one of three punishments. I think this is the only time we see this in all of scripture where God says, you choose. You choose what's going to happen because of what you've done. Option number one is the land, your kingdom, this great powerful kingdom that you're so proud of. He said it can have three years of famine. Well, what's going to happen to this great big kingdom when they have three years of famine? It's going to downsize. It's going to shrink. You're not going to focus on me, God says. I'll give you three years of famine which will you get your mind back on me. Option number one, three years of famine. Option number two was David could receive judgment by being pursued by his enemies for three months. Oh, you think your army's so strong? God says, I'll send people to chase you for three months and you're going to be on the run. That's the second option. Third option is... You can have three days of pestilence in the land. God would send judgment with some sort of pestilence that would kill people. And God said, that's option number three. What do you want? Well, before we even look at what David chose, those are some serious consequences, aren't they? David has sinned, and when he said he sinned greatly, God says, you better believe you did. And he gives him three options. None of them. I'd be like, is there an option for? Can you send me to my room for a couple of months? Right? Send me to, to, to bed with no dinner. Maybe. Right? God would not give him any easy options here. And David says, man, I'm in great distress. I don't know what to choose. And he finally he looks at all three of them and he says, you know what? Of those three, the third one is the best option. Because he said, I don't want to fall into the hands of men. He said, I want to fall into the hands of God. Because God is merciful. And God knew if he had to trust the character of men versus the character of God, he said, I'm going to trust the character of God. Amen? He said, said, I know you're a forgiving God. Because this is after, remember, his sin with Bathsheba? This is decades later. And he said, I know, I've done it wrong, but I'd rather have God get after me than people. I don't know if you've ever had people chasing you, but you know what I'm talking about. At least God will let up. People that hate you, they, man, they just keep going, don't they? There is no end. David said, I don't want that. And so he chose the option of falling into the hands of a merciful God. So God sent a pestilence in the land, and 70,000 people were killed. Wow. 70,000 people died because of David's sin. As the the judging angel was standing with his sword drawn over the city of Jerusalem and was ready to strike the capital city, God said, that's enough. Put your sword away. There's enough judgment here. God stopped it. It was the judgment of God, but the the judgment of God was satisfied. And he said, all right, I've made my point. The seriousness of this, this sin has been judged. Today, we're not going to look at the specifics of the story that I just told you. That's just the backdrop. That's just the backdrop of the text we're going to read now from 2 Samuel Chapter 24, page 277 in the, in the Blue Bible. Beginning in verse 18, this is where we pick the story up. After the angel has stopped the judgment of God. Verse 18, Gad came to, that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word at the Lord's command. And when Arana looked up, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Arana went up and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said to to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to, the, to David, Let my lord, the king, take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yoke of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to you. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But David said to Arana, no. But I will buy all this from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to my Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea of the land and the plague was averted from Israel. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. In this story... That exact spot, the property that that David bought from Aaron was where the angel stood over Jerusalem to strike the city. And that becomes a holy place. And later on in a few weeks we're going to look how that's exactly the spot where David has the temple built. This sacred ground where the judging angel of God was stopped by God the prophet of God said, go and make a sacrifice. Go and offer a sacrifice at that spot. So David goes to this spot and the man who owned the property, comes running up and he says, this is not good And the king comes to see you. What's going on? Obviously, there's been a problem because all these people have been killed and I'm going to be killed now. David gets there and he tells rabbi I want to offer a sacrifice right here. And you can see Iran is like, I'm not in trouble. You know what, king? Here's some oxen. Here's some wood. Go to town. You want to offer a sacrifice? I want to help. I'll give you the animals. I'll give you the wood. All you got to do is light the match. In verse 24, David outright refuses to accept what Arana has offered to him. He says, I don't want to offer to God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Now, as we look at this story, what did David get right? Yes, he has sinned, but he didn't do everything wrong. At one point, he even cries out to God and says, God, don't judge those people. It's me that sinned. Come after me. Let me bear the punishment. Boy, doesn't that sound like his descendant, Jesus, many years later, who comes and says, I'll take the punishment myself for these people. David is a great example here. He does the wrong thing, but then he wants to do the right thing after that. The prophet tells David, go offer a sacrifice. And David says, man, i am do it. There's no debate, there's no discussion. He goes to do it. And so he goes to that spot and he's offered everything that he needs. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a second. As far as the sacrifice goes... God gets exactly the same thing. Are you with me? Arana said, Take the oxen, take the wood. And David said, Nope, I'm not going to take it. He buys it. And then what does he offer to God? The exact same oxen and wood that Arana had offered to give to him. God did not benefit in the sense that he was going to get it either way. Right? He was either going to get the oxen and Arana was going to have paid the price or he was going to get the oxen as a sacrifice and David was going to have paid the price. It didn't affect God at all. But there was something in David that said, I want to give something to God that didn't cost me anything. That just wouldn't be right. You know why? Because that's not a gift. He would have been giving something to God, but it would have been more like re-gifting. Taking something that somebody gave him and then giving it to God. That's not a gift though. David said, I don't want to do that. Now let's compare that, what David does here, to how we give to God today. We don't look at anything in David except, in this story, his act of giving a gift to God compared to how we give to God. Stop and think about it. When I was in high school, many, many years ago, we had a man in our church who had a contractor's license which meant he could go to supply stores And he could purchase things for cost. Cheaper than what you and I could go in and buy. And so he went into the paint store, and he bought some paint for the church. Now when I say he bought it, I don't mean that he paid for it. The church paid for it. They reimbursed him. He paid nothing for it. Nothing out of his pocket. But because of his contractor's license, his price was $100 less than what the church would have had to pay had they gone in and bought it themselves. Shortly after that, he was telling me what he did. He said, I saved the church $100. And he looked right at me. I will never forget what he said. He looked right at me and he said, that's like I gave the church $100. Recently, I heard a story of a woman who was going to go on a mission trip to Africa. And she heard that the missionary on the field did not have a cell phone and needed one. And the church says, we've got you covered. We will give a cell phone for that missionary in Africa. That's a wonderful thing to do, isn't it? The woman gets to Africa and she fires up the cell phone. It was a used iPhone and it wouldn't hold the charge. It didn't work. But they had given that to the missionary. And had they said it this way, we gave an iPhone to a missionary in Africa. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Versus what they should have said, which was, we gave a used iPhone that didn't work to a missionary in Africa. That doesn't sound nearly as good, does it? Because when you talk about a smartphone, that's like $500 to buy a new smartphone. But it wasn't new. So instead of saying, we gave an iPhone to a missionary, what they should have said is, we gave a piece of crap to a missionary that we didn't want anymore. That we weren't even using. Because we thought giving a piece of crap to a missionary in Africa would be a good thing to do. And we feel good about ourselves because we did it. look at some of the examples that we give today of the excuses that we use for why we don't give to God today. Maybe you've heard some of these. Maybe you give some of these excuses. Oftentimes with your people who don't contribute financially to the church, they'll say, but I give in other ways. You ever heard that one? Or you'll hear somebody say, God doesn't need my money. Or some people will say, I don't give any money to the church because I don't have any money. But God understands. God is okay with the fact that I don't give. Well, let's look at those excuses. Let's just look at some of these examples and what they say about us. Number one, the man who looked at me and said, well, that's like I gave the church $100. Because I saved them $100 in payment. That's like I gave them $100. Okay, let's think about that is it like you gave the church $100 well technically you saved the church $100 so the church is $100 better off in terms of they didn't have to spend that money but is it like you gave the church $100 no you know why because you didn't give nothing did you save the church some money yes and you should be glad to do that but how much did it cost you nothing You used your ability to get a sale price and then you want to say, hey, I'm going to ride that one. It's like I gave it. It's the same thing. If you want to see what's wrong with that, let's take it out of the realm of God and put it into the realm of human relationships. Shall we? You know what that's like? That's like getting your oil changed. And as you're leaving, they say, oh, by the way, here's a $25 coupon for your next oil change. And you go home, and you give it to your wife, and you say, hey, the next time you need your oil change, $25 off. She's going to say, hey, that's great. That saves us $25. And... You look at her and say, oh, that's not just about saving you $25. I mean, that's like I gave you $25. <laughs> and she's going to look at you and say, no, no, no. If you want to give me $25, you give me $25, and I'll go buy some shoes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, you don't understand. I gave you something that was just as good as $25. You can't have those shoes because I've already given you $25. What do you think she'd do at that point? She'd probably go buy the shoes, Frank, right? Or the church that gave the broken iPhone to the missionary. Do we really have to go there, people? Christmas is right around the corner. I dare you. And I'll know when you do it because you're going to come into church with a black eye. Alright? I dare you this Christmas to find some old piece of junk that doesn't work. Wrap that up and give it to one of your loved ones for Christmas this year. Find that thing, that old phone that you've thrown in the drawer that you're not using anymore. Wrap it up and give it as a gift at Christmas time and say, I just wanted you to have this. You see, we see the problem here, don't we? We would be embarrassed to give secondhand junk that doesn't work to our loved ones. But we will give secondhand junk to God and then pat ourselves on the back for how giving we are. Well, I give in other ways. Yeah, I don't give money, but I give in other ways. Okay? I'll bite. How well does that work in any other area in your life? We're at the first of the month, rent is due. So this month, instead of sitting out and writing out your check for rent, don't send anything in. When the landlord calls up a few days later and says, Something must have happened because your check wasn't in the mail. Oh, yeah, I know. I didn't send it this month. Because I give it other ways. And you see, when I walk outside to my car and I see trash on the ground, I pick it up. So I want you to know I'm not going to be sending my rent in anymore. I'm just going to give in other ways. And the landlord's going to say, well, that's just fine. Thank you so much for picking up the trash. You see the point? We take it upon ourselves to give to God other things and say, God, you don't get money, you get other stuff. When God never said that we could give him other stuff instead of money. Because if God was okay with that, God would not tell us to give financially to support the ministries of the church. God would say, you know what? Some of you can give financially, others can do it another way. It doesn't matter. Just whatever you want is fine. God did not say that. And it's not on us to determine that God can accept something else and it's okay any more than you can give the landlord something else and expect the landlord to be okay with it. Or what about when we say, God doesn't need my money. Is that true? Of course God doesn't need our money. He'd be a pretty pathetic God if he needed the 49 bucks in my checking account, amen? Right? God doesn't need money. But you understand, when someone says, God doesn't need my money, they're not saying that as an act of worship to talk about the awesome self-sufficiency of God. What they're saying is, I'm too selfish to give, and God doesn't need it anyway. It's a way to make us feel better about not doing what God has told us to do. God doesn't need my money. Fine, again, I'll bite. You go out and you buy a really expensive gift for that person that you love. When she opens it up, her eyes just light up and how awesome this gift is. And she's, this is, this is so nice. I can't believe you spent so much. Oh, this is, this is too much. This is too much. I don't need this. And then your eyes light up. You you don't need it? Then I'm going to take it back. (laughs) And see what she says. Is the reason why we buy expensive gifts for the people that we love because they need them? No, of course not. We buy expensive gifts because we want to demonstrate our love. And then, and then, we hear the corollary, well, I don't need to give to show God how much I love Him because He already knows how much I love Him. You ever hear that one? Oh, doesn't that sound so pious? I know that God knows everything, and God knows my heart, and He knows how much I love Him. So I'm not going to spoil this by trying to show Him. I'm just going to trust that He knows. Sounds so pious until you spend about three seconds actually thinking about it. Of course God knows how much we love Him. It's not like we give a a
1: great gift to God and God looks down and
0: says, Wow, I have no idea how much you thought of me. We don't give to God to show God something that He doesn't already know. We give to God because we love. And love is its own motivation. It has its own reason for doing what it does. But then... That biggie, the one excuse that we so often hide behind. I don't have it to give, and God understands that I don't have it to give. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus is watching the collection one day, and a widow comes in and she puts in two copper coins, the smallest unit of money that they had, two. It would have been worth pennies. And Jesus then saw the rich people coming in and putting in big bags of money. And Jesus said, you know what? She put in more than they did. And the disciples were probably looking Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't do very good at you? They put in, you know, hundreds of times as much as she did. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. She gave everything she had. They simply gave out of their abundance and they never missed it. You do understand that Jesus had a perfect opportunity to say what we believe. Jesus should have gone up to that point and said, no, 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 don't give your last two coins. God understands that that's all you've got. Jesus had a perfect opportunity to teach the very thing that we say, which is God understands that when you don't have it, you don't have to give it. Rather, Jesus commends her for doing it. Which begs the question, why didn't he teach what we believe? Because what we believe is not true. God understands that we don't have anything to give because we've already spent it on ourselves. We would never try to do this. Use these silly excuses with people that we love. Give somebody a piece of crap used item for Christmas. Well, well, you know I don't have much money. Yeah, I know you don't have much money, but don't give me your crap. Okay? I don't want it. It didn't work for you, and it won't work for me. You took it out of the drawer because it didn't work, what do you think I'm going to do? Use it? It doesn't work. I'm going to throw it in the same drawer. Right? We come up with all these silly reasons for not giving, and we hide behind silly excuses when there is no way in the world that we would use those excuses in our human relationships. We just wouldn't. Which begs the question today, why are we trying to love God on the cheap? There's a joy that comes from giving an extravagant gift to someone that we love. Why don't we want that joy of giving to God something that we know He doesn't need, but something that we want to show our love anyway? Why don't we want to do that? It's amazing that no other area in life do we think like we do in the church. Go to the movie theater this afternoon. I hear you. Go to the movie theater and walk in and say, listen, I don't have any money. Give me a ticket anyway. Okay, okay, I know the ticket's 10 bucks. I got a buck here. Give me a ticket. You got to understand, I don't have it. If I had it. And they would say, What? When you have it, come back and see us. Right? Go out to eat. Order a nice meal. When the bill comes, look at it and say, I don't have it. I do have a huge iPhone that I'm not using. You want it? Why is it in no other area of life that we have this idea that we ought to be able to skate through with nothing? And receive everything the church has to offer it's amazing the number of people who come into the church and they expect the church to provide the services of the church and yet they give nothing to support the ministries of church how is that supposed to work in your mind how do you think that's supposed to happen people coming but not giving how is that going to work Why don't we want to give more to God? That's the question. Why don't we want to give more? Oh, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I do want to give more. Every week I come into church and I feel guilty that I'm not getting more. I want to do it. Right? Sure, you do. Sure, you do. Let me give you an example. Those of you who are sitting here today who did not give a gift that was sacrificial, you did not give a gift that caused you to think, this is important to me. This is important to me too, because I'm going to stand up. Hold on, I'm not finished. i this Christian church right here, and I'm going to say that I didn't have money today. I right. want to why don't you sit home. down, why don't you sit down and listen at and, uh, the end of the service, then you can talk. Okay? Sit down and hear the end of the service. Yeah. Okay? I haven't finished. Brother? Okay? okay brother. Thank you. Okay. I didn't but, know I today, I to you. those who say, it's okay for me to give nothing because I don't have it. Okay? Let me ask you this question. Brother? Think of the most important person in your life. Be it yourself, be it your kids, be it your grandkids. You pick one person that is the most important person in your life. Stay with me. You came in here to church today and you said, I don't have anything to give. Okay, that's your excuse. Tomorrow you get a phone call from the doctor. And the doctor says that that person that you love more than anybody else on the planet is sick. The good news is, there's a cure. It's not really a cure, it's a maintenance drug. For only $25 a week, you can buy this medicine that will keep your loved one alive. But without it, they will die. You're going to call up your loved one and you're "Oh, for only $25 a week, I could keep you alive. But sorry, I don't have it. You're going to die. The absurdity of that comes to the surface, doesn't it? There is no way on God's green earth that if you're going to let your loved one die because you didn't want to come up with $25 a week. You would do it. You'd come hook or crook one way or another. You would come up with $25 I would bet that you'd come up with significantly more than that, wouldn't you? Well, you know what? I'm going to let you die. I I don't have it. You you just got to understand. I don't got it. That's ridiculous. We would be picking up bottles beside the road. We'd be taking side jobs. We'd be doing everything we could to keep our loved one alive for $25 a week. But we come into church where, you know, it's not anybody keeping them alive. It's just offering them eternal salvation for, you know what, forever and ever. They are spiritually sick. They are going to die. They are going to go to hell. And what's our attitude? Yeah, I don't have it. Let them die. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? That we will find money for that which is important to us. The average person pays more for their cell phone, they pay more for their cable television than they pay to support the ministries of the church. That's just a cold hard fact, people. We'll come in and we'll throw a dollar in the plate after we pay $100 a month for cable television and then we say, I don't have it. What we see are people in the church who would say, oh, I would never offer God a sacrifice that cost me nothing. That's what David said he refused to do. He said, I will not offer to God something that cost me nothing. But they will come into church week after week and give to God nothing. You didn't have a nickel, you didn't have a dime. Do not come into the presence of God and say, I didn't have anything to give. That's a flat lie. You may not have it, but you don't have it because you chose to spend it elsewhere already. And that woman who had two copper coins, she gave everything she had. And she was committed. We come in and we give nothing except excuses about how we can't even give two copper coins. Please, most of you have change dishes at home that will have more money than you throw in the offering plate. But then you tell yourself, but I, I don't have it. Most of you will have pot bottles at your house that you haven't returned yet that's more money than you gave this morning. Do not say that you don't have it. You have it, and you choose not to give it. And the question is, why? Why are we not motivated to give to support the ministries of the church? Why are we not motivated to give God an offering like David wanted to? Arama comes up and says, King, you can have it. Take it. David could have said, cool, let's do it. And we would have walked away and said, what's the problem? God got a sacrifice. And uh, David said, it's not that God wouldn't be okay with it. He would say, I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with not loving God financially. Now I'm going to do something that I rarely do. I'm going to get off text. Open your Bibles to Proverbs. Chapter 3. I rarely get off the script, but this morning I got up and I said, I just, I gotta change the sermon. I just don't like it the way it is. In Proverbs chapter 3, on page 528. Verse 9. Proverbs 3 is that famous passage that many of us know in verse uh, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We'll drop down to verse 9. And the proverb says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Second line, With the first fruits of all your produce. How many of us come into the presence of God with nothing to give because we've spent it on everything else? Even if you had money left over. That's not the first fruit. That's the last fruit. We're to give to God right off the top. You know why? Because God gave to us right off the top. He didn't give us His worst, what was left over. He gave us His best in His, his Son. Remember? Honor the Lord... With your wealth. What we learn from David is, is that's where his heart was. His heart was, he wanted to give to God. And because of that, he found a way to give to God. He said, I am not re-gifting to God. At this point, he would have been very, very wealthy. And the the man was trying to honor the king. He said, here, you take it. And he said, no, I'm not going to insult God. I'm going to honor God with my sacrifice. The question to today is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? This study of, of the life of David has been on a man who, is after, who has a heart after God's heart. Why is our heart so far away from God that we can't even dig down and find five bucks to give to God? I shared this in the Bible study a while ago. Somebody looked at me and said, Does the church know this? She said, why are you sharing this with the church? And the Bible study, but not the full church on a Sunday morning. Did you know that at New Life, the average person gives $10 or less? That's the average. Did you know that in America, the average is $25? The average gift in an American church is about $25. The average gift in New Life is about $10. Did we ever stop and ask ourselves, do we love the Lord half as much as everybody else? Why is that? Why is it that when push comes to shove, we give significantly less than the average person? And we're okay with that. We seem to come at this with the question, why should I give? Give me a reason to give. When the real question ought to be, why don't you want to? What is wrong in your heart that you don't come into church with a desire to give to God a gift that honors him? David wanted to do this. David was grateful that the judgment of God had stopped. He said, I want to honor God at that moment. Have you experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ? Have you received the free gift of God in Jesus Christ for eternal life today? Amen. Amen then why don't you want to show God your love after receiving that? Why don't you want to show God how much He means to you? Because, let's go back to Proverbs 3 for just a second, then we're going to close. Proverbs 3 says, Honor God with your wealth. Do you know what that means? That means if you don't give a gift to God, you are dishonoring Him. Right? Somebody comes to a birthday party that you're having, it's your birthday, and they come waltzing in with no gift. They dishonor you. The whole point of this party was to honor me on my birthday, and you brought nothing. Stick with me. There is a point at which each of us will give at a different level. We get that. There needs to be shared sacrifice. Not everybody can give as much as rich and Mary because they're really good. Not everybody can give at the same level, but everyone can give. And your sacrificial gift may be a dollar, it may be ten cents. Jesus honored that woman who gave two copper coins. You don't have to give a lot of money, but it needs to be a sacrifice. Because if you're running around spending more of your money on yourself than you're giving to God, you're telling God, you know what, I think I'm more important than you are. And we'll go and buy our new toys for us, but then we tell God, oh, I don't have any money left over. And God's like, I understand Buying stuff for you is more important than giving to me. And in our human relationships, if you keep telling that person that you love that you just don't have any money to show her how much you love her, She's going to say, you did show me how much you love me. Not very much. Amen? And yet week after week after week, we come to the presence of God, and we refuse to show Him the love that we claim to have. And God's like, I get it. I do understand. Well, if I had it, I would give it. If I had it, I would give it. Below me. If you won't give it out of what you have now, you won't give if you had a lot more. We don't honor somebody by making promises of what we would give if we had more money. We honor them by giving a gift that's sacrificial based on what we have right now. That may be $5. That may be $50. But if you're giving to God something that doesn't cost you something, I went without cable television for a year because I was trying to make a point. I want people to know that you could live without cable television. And when God is most important to you, you're willing to give up something for Him. And our problem is we're not willing to give up anything for God. We spend it all on ourselves, and we say, God, I love you to death, but you're not worth me giving up anything for. And God's like, I get it. I understand. I don't want to give to God something that costs me nothing. Now stop and look at the offering that you gave today. Bottom line, folks, stop and look at the offering that you gave today. Should God feel honored by what you gave? Would God feel honored by what you gave? That's right.